Welcome to the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, where we listen, learn, and love together. Our speaker today is Pastor Jonathan Pinato. I was taking a class by Dr. John Dipdahl, a Seventh-day Adventist theologian, and he shared this in our class. He said, we have too narrow a definition of what? Of healing, he says. He says, healing is a holistic concept. And he shared with us these two words uh, from the Old Testament and the New Testament that encompass healing in there. The first word, shalom. The second word, zozo. One is Hebrew, one is Greek. One is found in the Old Testament. The other one is found in the New Testament. Shalom in the Old Testament, yes, it means peace, but it also means health. It means wholeness. It it also means healing. Shalom has this concept that something was broken, but now it is whole. Now that something has been put together. In the New Testament, the, the Greek word there, sozo, is the same word used for salvation. Sometimes when you get into complicated theological uh, um, concepts and ideas, you'll hear this word soteriology. And that word soteriology means that the act of Jesus saving us. And it comes from that Greek word sozo, the soter, the savior. And that same word for salvation, where Peter says, for, for there's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved, that word sozo, is also the same word that is used and says, and Jesus reached out and healed her. Sozo, it's the same word. Salvation and healing New Testament become almost one in the same two sides of the same coin. There is hope, my friends, for healing from sin and healing from the fall. And all throughout sacred history, God has intervened in special ways to bring healing. Dr. Dibdahl continued in his quote, and he says, healing, healing takes in all of life. Healing takes in the environment. It, it, it takes in our relationships. Healing is, is about addiction, about freeing us from addiction. It, it heals our physical bodies. It heals our lifestyles. It, it heals our broken marriages. It heals our emotions. It heals the self. It heals sin. It heals our spiritual nature. It also includes demonic and freedom and healing from demonic and psychological oppression. And he said, and one day, even death will be healed. God will heal us from death. And so what I want us to do this morning is look at a few examples from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Examples where we see God actively bringing healing into our lives. The first passage is found in Genesis chapter 3. Open your Bibles there to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. A few examples from the Old Testament of God engaging in a healing ministry. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. Do you have it? Okay. After Adam and Eve fall, it says, Then the man and his wife, what did they hear? They heard, yes, they heard the voice. They heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. In the cool of the day. And this is just a beautiful picture here because they've just fallen and we've explored how now they feel ashamed and they feel afraid and they're trying to hide. But as they're in the midst of their fear, the beautiful description of God. God is, you hear the sound 
as he's walking in the garden. Wait a minute, isn't there a song about that? In the garden, right? Right, right. Isn't there a song about that? Yeah. You know, I, I hear the sound of his voice as he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid, unfortunately, they hid from God, from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said, where are you? The very first example of healing in scripture is the drawing near of God to Adam and Eve in the garden. If you'll remember, when there's a rupture in the relationship, when there's a sense of humiliation and guilt, reparation is essential to avoid long-term cognitive and emotional damage. And so we see here that while Adam and Eve were experiencing shame, guilt, and fear, God is approaching them. He's drawing near to them. By his presence, he's seeking to remove those elements from their life by drawing near to them. God is seeking them out. And notice the content of the dialogue that God is having with them. He's inquisitive. He's curious. He doesn't ask them, what on earth did you do? How could you have done that? What were you thinking? Why did you do that? or any other type of offensive or defensive questioning. But rather, God is curious. He doesn't want to assume anything. He wants to understand, though he already knows all things. And so his question is about learning for himself and learning for Adam and Eve. Sometimes the best way for us to learn is for someone to ask us questions where we can reflect upon. And so, God asks Adam and Eve, where are you? And again, this question, where are you, has physical, spiritual, and emotional dimensions to it. Physically, where are you, Adam and Eve? Walking in the cool of the day and conversing with you is what we do. It's our thing. It's our custom. We hang out all the time. Physically, Adam and Eve, where are you? But spiritually, Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are you spiritually? Emotionally, Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are you at right now emotionally? But we can also consider God's approaching Adam and Eve in another way as well. How many times have we been down and out? And when we're down and out, what is it that we want? You know, we're longing, aren't we? We're longing for someone to, to be there. We, we'll, 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 we'll dial the phone number of a close friend hoping that they'll answer the phone. And then they don't answer. You know, we're, we're longing that we'll go visit someone and we're hoping that they're there so that we can share with them. But there's no one there. There's no one there to reach out to us. There's no one there for us to reach out to. And that's sometimes just the worst feeling in the world, isn't it? But then other times, people are there for us, aren't they? People do answer the phone. People are there at home. People do reach out to us. And that then becomes the best feeling in the world. But even when, if we're all alone, and sometimes we will, we will be all alone. But even when we're all alone, no one may be there with us physically. No 
that we're not alone because God is with us. In fact, it's Christmas time, and that's one of his names, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Jesus himself affirmed that. He says, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. We are not alone. Even when we feel we are alone, God is with us. And so here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, we see the first step in God healing, and that is being a presence around us, being near to us, drawing near to us. But then the second aspect has to do with what God said. And, and God, indeed, he has what I call a fierce conversation with, with Adam and Eve, and, and that's taken from a title called, uh, from a book called Fierce Conversations, where it's about a robust conversation, being clear with someone, uh, putting it all on the table, not, not, not being mean and not being nasty, but saying, hey, this is reality. And this is what it looks like. As as God draws near to Adam and Eve, he has that conversation with them. And he tells them, Adam, these will be the consequences of your choice. Eve, these are going to be the consequences of your choice. Don't run away from your problems. Don't hide from your problems. Face your problems and take responsibility for your actions. Don't blame someone else or circumstances or other things. Take responsibility for them, which is actually exactly what Adam Adam did. He started blaming his wife. Eve started blaming the serpent. No, take responsibility for your actions. And a couple weeks ago, we learned from George's story. Do you remember? Neuroscientists. And they tell us that the first step towards finding healing and a new life is just that acknowledging reality, acknowledging our problems, and confessing our problems. And so God engages in this healing ministry with, with Adam and Eve by first drawing near to them with his presence, second, by having that conversation with them, and then third, if you, if you turn to verse 21 here, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21, God will provide for their physical, spiritual, and emotional needs. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, do you have it there? And the Lord God, he made garments of skin for Adam and for his wife and he clothed them. The third step in God's healing, healing action is that he clothes them with garments. And, and, and the Hebrew word here used for these, these clothes or for these garments or for these tunics or for these robes is the, is the Hebrew word kotoneth. And it signifies that which is worn by someone in power. So now just stop that right there. Because were Adam and Eve in power? Were they in a state of power? No, they, they were in a state of, of shame and humiliation. They, they were naked and they were embarrassed and they were hiding. But yet after God closed them, and, and he closed them with that, that word and he uses that word, kotoneth, it signifies the clothing which is worn by one in power. And when you do a study in scripture, this is the same word that is, that is used by, um, by Jacob who gave that coat of many colors to his son Joseph. And that coat meant something, didn't it? It meant something by Jacob giving that to Joseph. It meant something. It meant that he was loved. It it meant that he was accepted. Uh, The same word is the one used in Exodus to describe the robes that the priests in the Old Testament would wear. This is the same word that is also used in, in the book of Samuel in the Kings to speak about the robes that royalty would wear. And so by God clothing them with this robe, what he is saying that, it, that you still have power. It is that which is worn by one in power, showing that however diminished their standing, Adam and Eve, that they still act with divine authority. In other words, God is restoring to them what was lost. 
Now, in my third point, I mentioned that God provided for their physical, their emotional, and their spiritual needs by, by clothing them. Now, this clothing, it also speaks of the interconnectedness of the human being. For example, yes, it was a physical covering. But that physical covering, when, when they were covered physically, it provided something more than just physical covering. It provided emotional healing as well. If, if you can put yourself again in their situation, they're naked. They're not dressed appropriately. Have you ever been in a situation where you're not dressed appropriately? You know, I've been in those situations, right? You know, I'm invited to go somewhere, and especially when I was a little kid, right? I didn't know too much about clothing back in those days. I'm still kind of learning and getting tips from you guys about, you know, clothing and fashion and those kinds of things. But I remember, especially as a little kid, right? They'd invite you somewhere, and then you show up with whatever clothes you think is best, and then you start looking around, and, and you realize that you're wearing the wrong, the wrong stuff. And how does that make you feel? Right? Yeah, there's, a, there's this emotional aspect to it. I mean, you're perfectly fine. I mean, you're clothed, but you're not wearing the right thing. And so because you're not wearing the right thing, then that has an in, that impact on you emotionally. That, oh, no, what's going on? People are going to make fun of me, or I, I don't look right, or I need to change this, or why aren't my clothes good enough? And, and so, yes, God provides for them physical covering, by, but, but providing the appropriate covering. God is also bringing in emotional healing to them. They don't have the right kind of clothes and they're humiliated, but now God clothes them with this robe and with this tunic, and now they do have the right kind of clothing. Now they can feel right about themselves. But, but not only is this clothing about a physical providing for their physical needs or their emotional needs, but this garment also has an, a, a semblance of spirituality. The material of this garment, notice what it says, it's a garment of skin. And the idea is that a lamb, this is lambskin. He didn't clothe them with cotton or polyester or what else is out there, you know, satin. No, no, this is lambskin that he is clothing them with. And so this material of the robe speaks of spiritual healing. For in order for Adam and Eve to be clothed, and Scripture will speak of being covered with God's robe of righteousness in other places. And in the prophets, he'll speak about, or, or in the New Testament, he'll speak about that parable of the wedding garment. You remember that one here? You know, a guy shows up to the wedding without the appropriate garment. Uh, in the book of Revelation, it speaks that the redeemed will be standing on the sea of glass with white robes. This concept of clothing is carried throughout Scripture. And so in order for Adam and Eve to be clothed, however, a lamb had to die. And so here we find in Genesis 3 the very first example of the concept of substitutionary atonement. The sentence for Adam and Eve's failure was their death. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. The New Testament reiterates this, for the wages of sin is death. But instead of that punishment being carried out on Adam and Eve, someone else dies. A lamb dies in their place. It's no accident then, my friends, that that lamb and let lambs featured to be such an important role in the Old Testament service of the sanctuary. Or that the prophet Isaiah describes the ministry of the Messiah as a lamb in Isaiah chapter 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. This is alluding to the Old Testament sanctuary practice that when you would take that lamb into the, the sanctuary, you would, uh, the, you would place your hands 
on that lamb, representing a transfer of your sins and of your faults, and you would place it on that lamb. And here Isaiah said, surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. But we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And yet with his stripes, we are healed. But it didn't stop there. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And yet the Lord has laid, again, laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Isaiah chapter 53. It is no coincidence then or accident that when John the Baptist sees Jesus approaching him, he proclaims, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And then the Apostle John in the book of Revelation describes Jesus as a Lamb slain from the foundation of the earth or before the foundation of the earth. And John is making a reference here to Genesis chapter 3 of that Lamb that was slain, that was sacrificed to cover Adam and Eve. And so here in this threefold act, we see God engaging in an act of healing towards, towards Adam and Eve. Another example of God engaging in healing is Psalm 103 in verse 3, and we read it during our prayer time. It says, Who forgives all your sins, and then he heals all your diseases. Here in this passage, we see spiritual and physical healing merge. And they become two sides of one coin. Hence, we find Scripture speaking to us not only of spiritual matters and spiritual healing, but we also have instances of very practical matters of physical healing in the Old Testament. We also have such things as dietary laws in the Torah. Why dietary laws in the Torah? Why sanitary laws in the, in the Old Testament? Why directions regarding the application, yes, in the Old Testament of, of medical poultice and of hydrotherapy? Now, you remember here, uh, let me see here, was it Naaman, right, you know, who, who had to wash himself, you know, a little bit of hydrotherapy, what's going on there? Guidelines regarding mental and emotional health, we shared this uh, last week, right, a merry heart, doeth good like a, a medicine as, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. These are practical, practical applications um, in Scripture, of mental, emotional, and physical health. Why? Because God doesn't just want to forgive our sins. He also wants to heal our bodies because God is a healer. And he engages in a healing ministry. As we move forward into the New Testament, we see Jesus. And Jesus arrives as a healer. With the arrival of Jesus, healing now takes a center stage in the New Testament. When asked about his credentials by, the, um, by John's disciples, his credentials as Messiah by John's disciples, Jesus' response is, go back and tell John what you've heard and what you've seen, that the blind receive their sight, that the lame, they walk, that those who have leprosy are cleansed, and, and the deaf, they hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And that's Matthew chapter 11. And, and at the end of Matthew chapter 11, then Jesus makes that invitation where he says, Come unto me, all, all you who are, are weary and, and heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As Jesus arrives on the scene, healing takes center stage. Jesus saw his, his mission as the fulfillment of prophecy. In fact, when he responds to John's disciples in this way, the, the, the blind see and the lame walk, he's actually quoting from the Old Testament. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. And that's actually the key word there for Messiah. That's what, what, that's what the word Messiah means, is the anointed one. The Messiah, the anointed one. He has anointed me to do what? Proclaim, preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness uh, those, who are, those who are blind and those who are prisoners. Verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve and sigh, and to, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, of oil, of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise. Oh, wait a minute, there's that word again, garment. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, and they will be called mighty oaks. They will be, they will be called trees of, 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 of planting trees, trees of righteousness of the Lord for his honor and for his glory. Jesus is quoting from this passage here, and this passage includes a holistic concept of the healing of the body, the healing of the mind, and the healing of the spirit. Here, the Messiah will heal the brokenhearted. He will, he will, bring, he will comfort those who mourn. He will comfort those who grieve, speaking of the emotions. He will, he will heal the, or give sight to the blind, physical healing there. He will preach the good news to the poor, now, some people, we, we understand this as, as spirit, the spiritually poor, those who are, are humble. There's a beatitude, isn't there? Blessed are the poor, right, in spirit. Yeah, there, there's this beatitude about it, and, and, and it is about spirituality. But how about Jesus is also speaking about financial healing right here as well. How about that? Could it be possible? You know, and, and I think about this because, um, you know, the truth is that God blesses us financially. He blesses us financially, whether we're faithful to him and tithe and offerings or not. And forgive me for going on this tangent, but I have to. And whether we're faithful in giving our tithe and offerings or not, the truth is God still blesses us. The Bible says he, the sun still comes up on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Um, he still blesses us whether we're faithful to him or not. That's the kind of God that we serve. But how much more if we are faithful to him? In our tithes and offerings, will, will, will the experience be a positive healing experience for us? But again, here in this passage, we see this holistic concept of healing the body, the mind, and the spirit. And that last part, verse 3, it says to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise. And I mentioned that there's that word again, that garment, that robe, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And then he says they will be called trees of righteousness. Literally in the Hebrew, it is oaks of righteousness. And as I was reading through this, I was thinking here in Jacksonville, don't we have a, an oak, a very famous oak? Don't we have it somewhere in downtown, right? It's called Treaty Oak, and it is huge. And so if you can just imagine this imagery here that God says that when he heals us, when we allow him into our life, he will plant us like a tree, like an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for, for his display and for his honor and for his glory. 
And so here we return to the motif of trees in Scripture. We found a tree, right, in Genesis chapter 2. Actually, there were two trees, right? Tree of, of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was at a tree where our first parents failed, where Adam and Eve failed. But then it was on a tree where the Lamb of God died in our place on the cross of Calvary. It will be under a tree of life where Revelation says that we will gather under that tree of life and their fruits, their fruits on that tree of life, and we will eat those fruits. But then Revelation says that the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. Do the nations need to be healed today? Mercy, they do. And then God says that we will be planted like a tree, established like oaks of righteousness. The gospel records that indeed Jesus went about healing every disease and and sickness, Matthew chapter 9. But not only did Jesus engage in a ministry of healing, but he also empowered his disciples to do the same. And he sends them out two by two in Matthew chapter 10. And he gives them the same power for healing that he had. And then once Jesus ascends into heaven, Jesus then commissioned his disciples and his church now. That's why church is important. He commissions his disciples and his church to continue his healing ministry. And so in the book of Acts, and we just finished studying the book of Acts a few months ago. The book of Acts, it records that Peter heals the paralytic man. And and that man, what was he doing? He was at the temple and he was asking for money. But is money what he really needed? You know, and I find that fascinating. He's paralytic. Does he really need money? No. Yes and no. Yes and no. Because I, I sometimes think we sometimes don't know what we ask for, right? You know, we sometimes ask for things that, that we really don't need. And, and, and Peter approaches him and he's asking for money. And Peter's response, this is the power of healing. Peter's response is so powerful because Peter tells him, gold and silver I do not have. Now, 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 just wait. Just think about it. Gold and silver I do not have, he tells them. But what I have, what I have I give to you. What did he have? In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. My friends, that is powerful. Do, do, I, mean, do, I mean, I think about myself. Do I have that? You know, I make, I make visit, uh, visits at hospitals. You know, and I'm there and I pray for them. But, but I feel that I don't have that power that Peter has. In the name of Jesus, that there's power in the name of Jesus, that it is real and that God is real. And that at, at, the, at the invocation of his name, we can be healed and we can be delivered. The book of Acts continues and he says that the shadow of Peter was so imbued with the spirit of God that, that people wanted to get into his shadow so that they could experience healing. Peter raises Tabitha from the dead. Ananias, a a disciple, heals the eyes of Saul. Saul then becomes Paul, and Paul extends a ministry of healing. So that Acts 19, Acts 19, I didn't believe it until I read it with my own eyes, but so that Acts 19 says that handkerchiefs, handkerchiefs and and aprons were were brought to Paul, and and Paul would touch the, the aprons and the handkerchiefs, and he would pray over them. And then they would take those handkerchiefs to the sick, and their diseases would leave them. Isn't that powerful? Not only their, their sicknesses, but it says evil spirits would go out of them because this handkerchief was imbued with the power of God. I can't imagine that. We actually have a, a ministry similar to that here, right? Pears and squares, right? 
You know, we pray over those, those quilts and over those blankets. Furthermore, the Apostle Paul, he exhorts us to keep our, our whole, and this is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he, he encourages us and he exhorts us to keep our whole, and there's that word again, kol from the Hebrew, though it's in the New Testament creed, keep your whole body, your whole spirit, and your whole soul blameless until the coming of the day of the Lord. The Apostle John, he inquires of the health of his congregation in Ephesus. And in 3 John 2, he says, I, I wish that you will prosper in health, even as your soul prospers. And then coming back to kind of to our days, the Seventh-day Adventist church has, has been committed with a message and a, a ministry of healing, hasn't it? You know, and, and the way we started, you know, the way the Adventist church started back in the days is... Uh, we started because we believe that Jesus was coming soon. That was like, that was what brought us together. Jesus is coming soon. He's coming in 1844 or shortly thereafter. That's what brought us together. And, and we were together. We were being held together uh, because of this concept that Jesus is coming soon, this imminence of his return. And then there was one of our pioneers by the name of Loughborough. And early on in our Advent movement, Loughborough came along and he was a preacher and uh, he, he would come to our meetings and he would tell us, you know, not only is Jesus coming soon, but our bodies are also the temple of the Holy Spirit. And believe it or not, there's, there's things we should eat and there's things that we shouldn't eat. And, and he starts talking to us about clean and, and unclean foods. And, and, and do, you know what, do you know what Ellen White said to him? This, I think this is actually very, very funny. You know what Ellen White said to him? She said, Brother Loughborough, sit down. If the, Lord, if the Lord has a message about clean and unclean foods for us, he'll reveal it to us. Until that, keep that to yourself. And then they continued eating their ham, fellowship, meal, pup, you know, pig, whatever they were doing. It's there in, in Testimonies of the Church, Volume 1. It's hilarious. And then a few years later, in 1863, a few years later, she receives this vision that indeed health is important. The health of our body indeed is important. And so if you can imagine that at that time, like I said, we were still eating our ham sandwiches as, as Adventists, as early Adventists in the 1840s and 1850s. Um, you know, some of us, they say the majority of us weren't using tobacco products anymore, but, but we would still, you would see Adventists chewing tobacco. And, you know, the, the idea was that um, if you had anything wrong with you, if you just chewed a little tobacco, it was medicinal. And so you would see our Adventists, uh, you know, chewing tobacco and, and maybe even a little bit of alcohol as well. And, and if you had a cough, uh, doctors would encourage you to just smoke a cigar because that, that would help. I mean, that was medicine back in those days. And that's what our Adventists would do. And then Ellen White received this, um, received this vision that, no, health is important. We need to take care of our, of our health. And again, it's, it's in a time where people don't understand anything. They would, they would give you mercury if you were sick. They would give you mercury, and that would help you. And then when you kept getting more sick, they were saying, well, just that disease is just too bad, and then you'd eventually die from mercury poisoning. I mean, this is, this is, this is you know, this is uh, medicine back in those days. And, and you remember about that, um, hearing about that doctor, right, who uh, decided that one of his days, I'm going to wash my hands before I assist women in delivery. You remember that story, you know? All the other doctors would just move from one patient to another without washing their hands, and the women would die, the children would die, and then, and then this doctor decides, hey, I'm going to just wash my hands. And then all of a sudden, would you know it? People stopped dying. Women stopped dying. Uh, you know, mothers, uh, mothers stopped dying. Children stopped dying. And then he's booted out. Um, he's fired because uh, the other doctors were envious that their patients were dying and his patients weren't dying. And, and, and he was a little arrogant about it too. And they said, that's witchcraft. Who knows what's going on? I mean, this is before the germ theory. I mean, this is before we knew anything about anything. 
And it's during this time that Ellen White receives a vision where she says, where, where she realizes that healing, that, that, that health is important. And because of that heritage, because of that ministry, Adventists today are known for our world-class medical facilities around the world. We have Loma Linda out in California, but even here in Florida, we have a very strong presence of, of the healing ministry of Seventh-day Adventist Health, mainly in Central Florida, Florida Hospital, and, and uh, we don't have anything here in Jacksonville. The closest one, I think, is Flagler. But Adventists have been known for, for their medical facilities, for their world-class medical facilities. We, as Seventh-day Adventists, have been the center of global studies. Uh, we've realized that Adventists live about 10 years longer than the average population. Uh, in, in the most recent study was the Blue Zones. Did you, did you see that one? National Geographic, I think, was behind that one. And they realized that there's these areas in the world, Blue Zones, where people live longer. And, and everywhere around the world, it's because of their culture, because of what they do. But then they studied Seventh-day Adventists in, in Loma Linda in Southern California. And they realized that it's not so much by, because of our culture, but it's because of our faith. Isn't that powerful? That because of our faith and the practice of our faith, we live longer and healthier lives than the surrounding population. I think there's something to that. In my literature review on, on obesity and, and overweight, there were several articles that spoke of the importance and the role of communities of faith being centers of health and healing. There was one article that I read about Mississippi where Mississippi was actually considered the most unhealthy state in, 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 um, in the United States of America, um, the most prone towards uh, to having the highest levels of obesity and overweight there. And, and so the governor, together with his advisors, they got together and they, they realized that schools were essential to promote health and healing, and churches were also essential in the community to encourage health and healing. And so they got a group of pastors together and they encouraged the pastors, they encouraged the churches to be centers of, of healing and, and, um, and encouraged their parishioners towards healthy habits. And then they did another study, and guess what they found? They did another study, and they, they found that people of faith, especially in the South, church-going individuals, they actually have higher rates of disease and sickness, obesity and overweight, and its accompanying syndromes than non-church-going individuals. And, and they have a scale, and they actually have a scale. And, and not that I'm calling anyone out on this one because it's, it's, it's a peer-reviewed article, but, but there was, they had a scale, and, and I started thinking, I was like, man, is it possible that going to church can be hazardous to your health? How, how is this possible that non-church-going individuals have better health than church-going individuals? And so number one, as far as unhealthy habits, not, I'm just, not that because I'm calling them out, this is, like I said, a peer-reviewed article that read, Baptist number one, as far as unhealthy habits and, and rates of obesity. Pentecostals were right there, right under them. And, um, and then the more, you know, traditional Protestant faiths right there. Adventists were down at the bottom. Adventists were actually grouped with uh, Jews and, and uh, Muslims and New Age and yoga pant-wearing people as far as, you know, rates of obesity, which is, you know, down below, right, right down there, low. And, and then finally, non-church-going people um, had the lowest uh, the rates of, of overweight and obesity. And so, and so I, I was reading this, and I was like, how is it possible? That churches should be centers of, of health and healing. We should, we should carry on that ministry of Jesus, the ministry of God in the Old Testament, the ministry of Jesus in the New Testament, the ministry of the apostolic church. And, and as Seventh-day Adventists, we have this healing message. How is it possible that we need to carry on this ministry of healing, and yet we are sicker than the rest of the population? Lord, have mercy. 
But I feel that God is calling us to carry on this legacy of healing, which began in the Garden of Eden. Ministry which began in the Garden of Eden displayed in the ministry of Jesus and the early Christian church a healing ministry that can bring hope to those who wrestle with the challenges of disease and of sickness. In in my specific study of obesity and overweight, bringing encouragement, bringing strength, bringing perseverance and transformation. And remember what George said, it's not about a line that we cross, but rather a path in a direction of life that we strive for. This podcast is brought to you by the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Connect with us on www.jaxsda.org or on Facebook and YouTube. We look forward to sharing more inspiring messages with you.